0: Welcome everyone. Last week we saw strong purchase application data even in the face of rising mortgage rates. What does that mean and what does that mean for the rest of the year? On this episode of Housing Wire Daily, I ask our lead analyst, Logan Motoshami, to weigh in on that question and others about rates, inventory, and why we should be glad we're not Canada, at least when it comes to home prices. We have lots to talk about, so let's dive in. Logan, welcome back to the podcast.
1: It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. We, we just had a very uh, successful event, and I enjoyed uh, talking about economics with my fellow nerdy friends.
0: Oh, that was a great event. So that was our economic forecast event this week. And tonight, because this is going to be airing on Monday, tonight you're doing your special Cocktails with Logan event at the MBA Secondary Conference.
1: Yes, yes. Rooftop bar, New York housing charts, nerds. I love it. You know, my kind of my kind of city.
0: Yep. If you're in New York, Sanctuary Hotel Sixth State, You just have to register, but it is going to be a, a super fun event for people to get to see you in person and ask you questions. So let yeah, me. And, yeah,
1: and I and I love the fact that we got Wall Street, real estate, mortgage, and uh, people in other industries all coming in. Uh, that'll be a, a good event for a lot of people to uh, uh, mingle as well.
0: I think it's going to be really fun to hear the Q&A on that because we are going to have people who are um you know right in the middle of housing and then some some different sectors represented so it's going to be fun. Yes. So let me ask you some questions right now. Let's start out by talking about mortgage rates.
1: Yes, so the the 10-year yield had had been making a very sharp increase of course we've all seen that and it's kind of topped out, you know, technically speaking. So we've seen some of a A retracement of yields coming down lower even with the kind of hotter than expected cpi we're starting to see some of the peak rate of growth of a lot of things uh so bond yields fell back um mortgage rates fell back just a little bit and hopefully you know going out for the uh, rest of the year supply chains start to get better uh, the demand is stable. It's not overheating. And then the inflationary data starts to get better on its own. Of course, the Russian invasion and the China lockdowns are completely out of everybody's control. But people can kind of finally see the end of this. You know, the Of course, inflation is always rising, but the rate of growth where it is right now, hopefully we can see uh, progress on that side.
0: You know, we need some good news here because we're, you know, we just had first quarter earnings come in. Lots of lenders, title companies, tech companies. I mean, um, we saw a huge volume falling from the fourth quarter. So, you know, there's been layoffs. What are some what's some good news you could give us about what you see from the macroeconomic picture and rates specifically?
1: Well, the U.S. economy is still in an expansionary mode. You know, only four of my six recession red flags are are up. Uh, job openings are over eleven and a half million. Jobless claims are historically uh, low currently, so the the economy is pushing forward. It's just that we've dealt with such a very high velocity event, Uh, you know, the sharp decline for a few weeks of COVID, the massive V shape recovery, uh, the U.S. economy leading the world out of recession, and then uh, you know everybody still dealing with the aftermaths of uh, supply shortages, excess demand, the unbelievable purchasing of durable goods. These things. They all tend to moderate over time. Uh, so moderation in the economic data, I, I see as being a, a, a positive, not a negative.
0: That is great to know. And, you know, you and I were both on a, a Twitter fight earlier this uh, week with uh, some of those people who love to call for a crash, a housing crash. And, you know, specifically talking about, oh, you know, we're going to see rates, eight, nine percent mortgage rates, not just
1: interest rates. But, you know, what what is your... Yeah, their- it it it's the the irony of not knowing what you're talking about is is very evident on Twitter. <laughs> right. Um the housing crash people are the bearish American people 24-7. They've been doing it every day. They don't change, right? Uh if you are an eight to nine percent mortgage rate person with any kind of duration, that means the economy has to get stronger. So that's fine, but the people that say eight to nine ten percent are also the people that are saying we're going into a recession. Those two things cannot be in the same planet. Okay, so if, like, for example, if I was talking about eight to nine percent mortgage rates, I'll say the mortgage backed security market, the spreads widen out a lot, but the US economy just starts to ramp up. Uh, Economic growth picks up, inflation picks up, consumption picks up, uh, and the world economies uh, go on. That at least is a viable premise for kind of 8 to 9% mortgages but you can't say we're going into recession and we're going to have 8 to 9% mortgage rates as well it's th- those things don't make and again the 10 year yield still even to this day with all the hot economic growth hot inflationary data global shortages russia uh, uh china the 10 year yield never broke above the 2018 levels uh and, and this is with the russian invasion creating a kind of his, you know kind of a painful Inflationary push, and if people don't uh, remember, the ten-year yield and rates really started to take off after the Russian invasion. So that's you know, and there's nothing we any of us can do about that. That's just part of it. So if the Fed is going to really fight inflation on that front, it's going to have a hard time. But again, I can't. If if I'm an eight to nine percent mortgage rate guy, then I really have to be bullish on the U.S. economy. I can't say. We're gonna have eight to nine percent rates. Oh yeah, we're on the verge of recession. Those, that's not gonna work out.
0: And you are, just to be clear, you are not an eight to nine percent mortgage guy.
1: No, no, I am not. I mean, I mean, for me to even go into that category, we the ten year yield has to be, you know, heading toward uh, uh, five and a quarter plus. You know, even if mortgage back spreads blew out, you know, the the bond yields needs to go higher. We've already had an inverted yield curve. Uh, The ten year yield even now hasn't been able to break over three and a quarter percent. And economic data is slowing down. Uh, we're seeing some of the some of the uh, trucking data, so stuff that we would see in when inflation picks up and economy picks up, are starting to slow down. So we're not we're we're not we're not we're not that fast. I, I, I'm not that bullish on the U.S. economy. Let me put it to you that way. I don't think I don't think the long term trend of population growth falling and uh, productivity rate of growth falling. We can start booming here, and then Germany, and Japan joins us, and world growth really takes off. So, no, I'm not in that camp.
0: Well, world growth. Talking about that, you wrote an article for us this week on um, at least we're not Canada. <laughs> Which is yeah, you uh, so you're like, you know, you think home prices are bad in the U.S. At least we're not Canada. So, so tell us why we're picking on Canada.
1: Well, you know, uh, there's a big you know contingent of Canadian real estate people on Twitter. And whenever they see Americans complain about uh, uh, home prices, they go, "What? A, hold my beer! Look at us! You know, uh, the, this is what you know what, what happens in, in, in regards to home price growth." And it is true. I mean, it's not just Canada; it's Australia, it's New Zealand, it's France. The French even beat us. Uh, the UK. There's all this. There's all this home price growth that is much hotter. And one of the things I I wanted to highlight in that article was. We can't have the Canadian market for many reasons, but the, the main one is that their home price index, especially in relationship to disposable income, is really tilted by two cities. Uh, so uh, we don't have that kind of housing market. We're a much more diverse housing market. We're driven more by with mortgage buyers, but they have foreign buyers here. Uh, and also uh, none of those countries, Canada, Sweden, Australia, the UK, even France, they didn't have a credit boom and a credit crash like we did. So we're lagging behind in that. So people say, well, home prices have a lot of way to go up just to catch up. Don't think of it as a catch up because our housing market is much, much different than, than those areas.
0: I actually – that was one of the most interesting things about that article to me that I hadn't considered is that because we went through that awful great financial crisis, it brought things back down a lot and kept them there for so long that that's why we're so much you know lower than other home prices across the world. I had never thought of that before.
1: Yeah, and, and one of the things – you know, I've tried to show over the years why I say you know home prices have legs to go. If you look at uh, disposable income, disposable income was always higher than home prices. You know, so there's a lot of leeway uh, for prices to catch up, and we're kind of there now uh, where home prices and disposable incomes have, have have connected. Where other countries, their their disposable incomes are so much higher than uh, their home prices. So it makes it seem like America has a lot of home price growth to go. But just just remember, our housing market is much different. Uh, Yes, we do have cash buyers and investors, but some of these cities in the world are really driven by wealthy people that, you know, we have a situation where a lot of uh, wealthy people from coastal states are moving into Kind of uh, uh, cheaper areas, imagine if that was the case with just a few cities and that drove our national index it 's just not the same so home prices are growing, but we're not going we 're not going to look like Canada
0: It would be like if Seattle and New York were you know the two biggest cities and like you know most of the population dro-
1: yeah there was no there was no midwest south or anything you know so it 's just uh, th- those, those two cities really so it doesn't it doesn 't look normal it doesn 't look sane except you have to think of it as that the wealthy are really. Uh, buying in those cities, a lot of foreign, I mean, they're trying to ban foreign buyers altogether uh, in Canada. Here, foreign buying is less than 300,000 homes out of six 6 million, you know, so it's not that big of an issue here, where there, obviously it is.
0: You know, the next thing I wanted to talk about was purchase apps. So um, we had some interesting purchase app data this week, and I know that that is one of the data lines that you have looked at for decades and really um, is important to your model.
1: So- I've always said this, the best way to get an idea of how the year is going is to look at purchase application data on a year-over-year basis from the second week of January to the first week of May. And then typically after May, volumes fall. COVID-19 has ruined every economic data line I can imagine out there. And, And what's happened is that we've had seasonal volume pickups in the second half of uh, of the year in 2020 and 2021 and then the comps are all have to be they have to be adjusted because we had high comps so it, this index has been negative since june of 2021 so if you don't make COVID 19 comps it looks like housing demand has fallen not really as much and the last two weeks uh purchase application data has been positive five percent and four percent i'm not a big week-to-week person uh, a tracker, but you can see that housing demand isn't collapsing. But on a four week moving average right now, on a year over year basis, because I believe the COVID 19 comps ended in February, we're running at negative 12.5%. I was anticipating about 18 to 22% year over year declines by now, uh, and not week to week purchase uh, of positive data. So it looks like housing is stabilizing. And I think we need to go out in the future. Uh, months and see how it how it works out, especially if rates fall in the second half uh, of the uh, year. So we'll we'll see how that works out. But as of now, as of today, now that we're past the first week of May, I'm surprised how well this index has held up uh, considering how much home price growth we've had from uh, 2020 to 2022. We have to look at it this way. We've had a 3% increase in mortgage rates from the very low bottom of 2.5% to 5.5%. So uh, I, had, I had anticipated uh, weaker data and it has not happened yet.
0: Very interesting to see that. That is definitely one of those things I know you keep an eye on. And, and that's one of the reasons we want you on here is, is to tell us what you're seeing there. We wrote um, a story and uh, one of our reporters wrote a story about the fact that um, homeowners are now so equity rich. And that's one of the things that plays into why homeowners now are in such a, a great cash flow position or um, really have a great balance sheet. Can you talk to us about what you think about that?
1: Yeah, you know, it's part of my inventory story for 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 many years. Homeowners on paper have never looked better. Uh, the nested equity position is 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 amazing, you know, uh, especially for people that bought homes from 2010 and on. And housing 10-year is 12, 13 years. So people have are staying in their homes longer, so they're just building up their equity more and more. And then on top of all that, 40% plus of homes in America don't even have a mortgage. Uh, and then this last mega wave of refinancing you know, uh, that happened in 2020 and 2021, Americans have a fixed debt payment, their disposable income you know, versus as a percentage, or their mortgage payment as a percentage of disposable income, all-time lows. And then on top of all that, they have nested equity. And this was not the case you know, from 2002 to 2005. So, the only time actually post-1996 when inventory really uh, skyrocketed was when we had a credit boom, we had a credit uh, deleveraging process, credit stress picked up, people were filing for foreclosures, bankruptcies in 2005, 6, 7, 8, home sales were declining, prices were declining. Then on top of all that, the job loss recession happened. None of that is here. None of that was ever here for the last 12 years. So, it's much different, but now... The nested equity position. Now, for me, one of my things, of course, is I want home price growth to cool down, I want prices to come down. I'm hoping that sellers, when they want to sell, because they have so much equity, they're not stingy. Usually sellers are stingy. You know, they think their home prices are, you know, more than what the market is. If there is a prolonged weakness in housing, and one of the things I've, I've tried to stress is that housing demand always gets softer when rates rise, but rates rising for like a two three year period has we haven't experienced that really uh, uh so uh i'm hoping sellers don't get too stingy and they just sit there for like three months i'm not selling until i get this price in the future so we can get some kind of cooling process because the case shiller index the last one even though it lags it's 20 year-over-year home price growth in 2022 you know, so, um, of course, this is why I've upgraded the unhealthy housing market to the savagely unhealthy housing market. And that's what we have today. So we need moderation. We need a cool down. Uh, that'll be the best thing for housing. And as part of team higher rates, I'm hoping it works. And we're starting to see uh, we're, po- we're going to get some positive year over year inventory, but we're still near all time lows. So it's a process and we'll take it one week at a time.
0: Okay. Inventory was my next question, because to your point, we're off the all-time low. Uh, I think that we saw last summer, but not by much. So tell us where we are with inventory.
1: So inventory is very seasonal. It uh, picks up in the spring and summer and falls in the um, fall and winter. Uh, And then we do that over and over again. What happened last October was that the purchase application data was getting better, even though nobody noticed it, which I still find amusing that nobody picked up on that. Uh, And then what's happened is sales started to uh, get stronger toward the end of the year, which drove the inventory levels to all-time lows. And I think back in October, we wrote about that. The risk in 2022 was that inventory stays and gets lower in 20 and we have more forced bidding. That's what happened. But what's happening now is we have the seasonal inventory uh, push But we're about to have our first positive year-over-year print in inventory, which is the best news we could possibly have because we did not want to start 2023 at fresh all-time lows. So hopefully, rates stay high enough to create some kind of balancing system with a growth rate of pricing falls, and that'll be a good thing because we can't we can't keep on having 10, 15, 20 percent year-over-year price gains because uh, there's just such a small pool of of homes available and people are forced bidding. That's the problem with forced bidding is that we have too many people chasing too few homes and everybody wants somewhere to live. And they create a, I mean, kind of an artificial rate of growth pricing, uh, which isn't credit based or anything like that. It's just this raw shortage of housing, which I don't think we've ever experienced. I could clearly see from Twitter and, and social media, that people have never understood what a raw shortage of housing is because people keep on saying there's no housing shortage or whatever, we're 20% oversupplied or whatever that, that, that was. Uh, uh, look at total inventory levels, compare that to what we've had from 1996 and on, and you could clearly see it in the data. Uh, uh, we're at record lows and not a positive. Because guess what? This is not like 2012 to 2015. This is 2020 to 2024. This is the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. Everyone needs somewhere to live. So if you can't buy a house, guess what? Rent, rent, rent inflation taking off as well. So the timing couldn't have been any worse in U.S. history for this to happen. And it did. And then on top of all that, we have shortages everywhere. We can't finish a home. And it's just like everything that could go wrong in housing did. Uh, First world problems, but still problems.
0: Okay. Well, uh, you brought up the demographic patch. So one of my questions is you've always modeled out twenty their years 2020 to 2024 being when we could see the most demand because that's when millennials are hitting their peak home buying age. But what happens in the last couple of years that so many of those millennials, even though they're hitting peak home buying age, haven't been able to buy, right? They're, they might've been the 24th or 25th offer on the house. Does that push that twenty year 2024 out to 2025?
1: No, and and I and I shut off at 2024 for a reason, which I will explain in 2024. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot going on there, and that's more than demographically based. And, and part of it is trying to see how much damage will be done in this five year period on prices. You know, so uh, that's that's a discussion for another time. But, but the millennials are the biggest home buyers in America. It's just that there are a lot of them, and they're coming in. So Gen X is number two, right? The baby boomers uh, are, are next. Gen Z, which is massive, they're way too young still. Uh, so the millennials are buying. It's just that in certain areas where there's no homes, uh, they're still getting outbid. So, but uh, the notion that the millennials don't buy, and we like to frame it like that because the first-time home buyer on the surveys are low, but millennials are the biggest home buyers in America. Don't feel too bad for them, okay? Uh, I, I think the the millennial renter, especially the single millennial renter, if you wanted a group of people to like, you know, feel bad for, that's the group, right? Because when you when you get married, you have dual household incomes and and it, and alleviates some of the housing shelter. But if you're a young millennial and you're still renting, and just imagine the increase in rent that you got. Uh, uh, this year. And that was another theme of ours uh, here at HousingWire is that rent inflation is going to take off. Don't think it's just housing. And we could see what's happening. The rental vacancy data and the housing vacancy data, we just got that from the census, both very low. So we, we're getting hit on both fronts right now on rents and on home prices.
0: So, really interesting. You know, we get asked a lot, you get asked specifically a lot about. Um, is, you know, did I miss it? So I was on a guest on Tom Ferry's podcast, um, you know, famous Tom Ferry. And, and he was asking, he's like, what do you say to people who who say, did I miss it? Because I didn't buy in 2020 or 2021 or early part of this year. Have I missed it? And and one of the things that I think about is that if you are trying to save and outpace the rate of growth on, that, on the housing, I mean, how do you do that right now?
1: You know, this this topic is interesting for me because if somebody tells me they missed it, I'll always say you weren't a real home buyer. And I I understand the the discussion t- talking point of this, did you miss this and, and or people should I buy a home? And and I'm I've always been very consistent about this. If you need to ask someone, should you buy a home or did I miss it? You're not ready. You were never ready. If you lost all your bids, to to housing last year, and, I, and I'll give you a hypothetical. If somebody said, "Well, I've lost eight homes uh, bid offers, and I just can't win, so I, I I stopped looking." That's fair. That that's that sucks really bad. Uh, that was a legit home buyer, right? And then the person said, "I'm going to wait until things cool down." Well, guess what? Home prices went up twenty percent, and mortgage rates went up three percent. So whatever you thought was you know uh, uh, was acceptable just got worse. But I, I'm just not a big believer that there are American citizens who are saying, I want to buy, but I'm just gonna wait. Home buyers don't do that. Home buyers are ready. There's millions and millions and millions of home buyers each year. They're ready. When people say, should I wait? I just don't, I don't, I don't think you're a legitimate buyer because you're you're questioning should you do something? Home buyers don't question that. They look at a payment and they go, okay, I'm all in. So I, I know it's a very high talkative narrative, but I've, in my experience, that the people who are always I'm not going to show you, they were never ready to buy. I've seen their financials. There was like, dude, don't worry about it. There's no way you can buy right now. There's no way you're going to buy next year. You know, so just it's not going to happen. So I just I'm not a big fan of that. I know it's very popular, but but why are Americans buying homes now this year with prices up and because they need shelter? So the marginal home buyer or the people that the real estate agents want to want to get to buy, but they're, they're not ready. They're not ready. And they might not be ready ever. Uh, when you're ready, you don't need to ask someone. You don't need to ask another adult permission to buy a house. Oh man. Don't ever be in that position where you have to ask another adult, should I buy a home? No, you are an adult. You are no longer in high school or in college, you know, uh, People do it every single year and they don't have a problem. In fact, they're fighting so much to get it because they are ready. Because why? It's a fixed payment. It's a fixed shelter payment. And then after that, every year your wages grow. And then you slip in that home for a long time. They're not, oh, I'm, I'm not going to buy because it's the top. No, the, the, that's a marketing gimmick, right? Millions of people bought. Look at COVID-19. If there was ever a time in U.S. history where Everybody go! I'm not going to buy because COVID. You know, housing is going to crash. People delayed for six weeks on everything, and it shot right back up. You know why? Because American home buyers are badass people. They're not these soft people on Twitter crying all the time. So that's 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 how I've always looked at it.
0: Ah, uh, yes. I, I always know uh, that that one's going to get a reaction out of you, and I I like to hear it every time. Um, the other thing, the last thing I'll talk about is that, you know, we, we hear that people are going to sell because they have so much equity right now and they're afraid the prices are going to fall. They might sell their home now and like move into an RV or, um, you know, do something else. You know, uh, this is, oh,
1: man, I tell you, the, the Mickey Mouse stories around housing, I, and, and I, this one I love even more. Let's sell our house. Because take the cash out, go rent at a par or RV or come, man, seriously, people don't do this. Have you looked at the inventory channels in 1996? There has never been a mass exodus of selling with nested equity. We've had nested equity for like 20 years. There's a group of people that are sitting, stock traders do this. Stock traders that are credit leveraged sell like crazy when things go bad. Homeowners have to live somewhere. And I always say, could you imagine telling your husband and wife, I know, let's just take the equity, and people make up these stories. I have a friend who sold and said, oh, I'm just gonna wait, and now home prices have gone up so much they can't. In mass scale, we don't have this in the data. The only time we saw forced selling was when we had forced credit selling. That's what stock traders do. They get margin, they get wiped, you know, and they gotta forced sell homeowners don't look at this because think about it. You got to tell your kids, hey, we're going to go move to another city because we need to cash out. Your kids will go, what about my school? My friends? Dad, why are you so soft? What's wrong with you? You know, And it's just, that's that's not how, he, we don't have any data that actually shows this. Uh, so we keep on talking. To, I've heard this story for eight, nine years and inventory is falling every year. So I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. I think when you have a job loss recession, that's 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 a viable point. We have data to confirm this. But the notion of mass scale, I mean, this was the whole thing last year. Everybody said, uh-oh, here they come. Everybody's going to cash out and rent at a higher place or go live in an RV or whatever. You know, you had people saying, well, if somebody sold to be homeless, like, you know, they at least they have cash. No, it's your home. Do you know how much money... And time people put into their house and they're just going to, oh, we're going to sell. We're going to do that all over again. Homeowners don't do that. Investors, you can make that case with real estate investors. You can make a case with somebody who owns a house and four other properties. That makes sense. But this notion of homeowners, primary resident homeowners, especially who have kids, are going to throw their whole lives into some kind of when inventory is this low. Like, you have no, you have no, like, you don't know where you're going to go, right? You're going to throw that all away? No. I mean, you look at the homeowner now. They're just sitting there thinking, oh, look at all these stock traders crying every day. Oh, I got that 30-year fixed payment. Sleep with it every night. Wake up with it every morning. Best relationship I'll ever have. Doesn't do anything. There's no drama. <laughs> stock traders every day. Margin call, margin call. For selling, for selling, oh. So it's completely two different uh, 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 economic worlds. So I, I know it's a great marketing gimmick. I just I just haven't seen any data to show this, especially past nineteen ninety six. And I always use nineteen ninety six because to me the entire housing market changed after that. And it's very it's actually extremely rare to have six months supply. Plus, it only happened in two thousand six to two thousand eleven. That was a credit boom, credit bust. Peloton credit boom, credit bust. Inventory increases, people have to sell their homes, deleverage, uh, and then you find a base to work off from. So that makes sense. Job loss recession, rates going up higher, inventory stays out, days on market grow. That makes sense. But the mass exodus of sellings is a professional grifting job. Never worked post-1996.
0: Well, I love hearing uh, your explanation on that. So, what are you looking at this week? What kind of what data or reports come out this week that you will be looking at
1: for the rest of the, uh, you know this week and and in, in the month? You know, housing starts, housing starts have held up well. Permits have held up well. So, uh, I do anticipate home sales to fall, new home sales to fall, housing starts to fall. So, right now, it looks more like a conventional higher rate marketplace, uh, and I always like to highlight those in the charts. You know, what we saw in 2013 and 14 and what we saw in 2018 and 19 home sales trends fell. Uh, I expect that to be the case. Uh, I'm just surprised how well purchase application data has done considering the two variables of home prices and mortgage rates. Both are extremely hot. Uh, I had anticipated 18 to 22 percent year over year decline so far. The four week moving average is 12 and a half percent. And every week I'll, I'm going to be tracking that data, even though the seasonality of it faded uh, in May. I want to see if this is going to be the third year that we actually have volume pickups in the second half. If that's the case, then we have to adjust how we look at this index because uh, it's made a change uh, post-COVID. Uh, so the first two years I was willing to let that you know slide as just a high velocity data. But if it is true, then we have to start thinking about the second half of uh, – Um, housing with purchase application data where I wouldn't have put much weight on it before COVID.
0: Logan, as always, it's great to have you on. And we will extend again the invitation. If people are at at MBA Secondary, come see us at the Sanctuary Hotel, six to eight. Otherwise, we will uh, look forward to your next article and see you again next week.
1: Yes, and if you're coming with Cocktails and Logan, uh, ask questions in the Q&As, because my, my stuff is always live Q&As and debating people, and I hardly get to do that, so it's gonna be a lot of fun for me.
0: Lots of fun, thank you so much. Thank you. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire annual and more.